Thinking sensibly seems to be out of favor these days. Hot takes and radical opinions, extreme views and extreme experiences, these are what attract the most attention, or what many people believe attracts the most attention. As one example, um, on election night, I was watching election coverage, like many of you were, and as the early counts, early results began to roll in, one of the news anchors asked one of the members of the team who was sitting there sort of off to the side to weigh in on what was happening as these early results rolled in. And this man who had uh, been through many elections, he said something like, you know, I've been through a lot of these and the early returns don't mean a whole lot. So I'm not going to make any pronouncements yet. These results are going to keep rolling in and then we'll see what happens. Wise man, but doesn't make for great television, right? That's the kind of thing we think that that's boring. We need somebody who's going to say something exciting right now. And that's what's going to keep people's attention. That's how so much of our culture seems to work right now. now. There are some prominent voices left who are sensible and patient and thoughtful. But a lot of the noise that we encounter, whether from our social media acquaintances or from public figures, is anything but sober and sensible. And I bring that up because we tend to be conformed to what we consume. If we consume anger, we become angry. If we consume opinions without facts, we tend to spout opinions without facts. If we consume the words of people who are overly impressed with themselves, we are likely to become overly impressed with ourselves. But Paul wants us to steer away from exaggerating our own importance. He has warned us in chapter 12 already about being conformed to this world and implored us instead to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we become more and more in line with God's truth and we begin to reflect more and more the image and likeness of Christ. And doing that includes thinking about ourselves rightly. And since Paul is addressing Christians in this passage, he is particularly concerned with how we think about ourselves inside the church, within the body of Christ. So let me read for us this morning our sermon passage, which is in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Right? Again, the context here is Paul's appeal for us to give ourselves wholly and totally to God as living sacrifices, to be transformed rather than conformed to this world. And then here's what he says next, beginning in verse 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, 
and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the first thing Paul exhorts us to do there in verse 3 is to think sensibly or to think soberly, to be sober-minded in the way that we think about ourselves. And specifically, he says, uh, not, he says, don't think about yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now, unfortunately, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think is very easy to do. And it's very easy to think that we are more important than we really are, or that other people ought to think more highly of us than, the, than they do. Uh, it, and unfortunately, sometimes when we are uh, tempted to be uh, proud, and we are thinking proud thoughts about ourselves, those proud thoughts seem sensible to us at the time. Now, we know better than to say them out loud, because we know if we did, our friends would probably laugh at us if they weren't afraid of hurting our feelings. But somehow we justify in our minds these proud thoughts about ourselves, these overly elevated opinions about our own importance, and they seem sensible. But they're not sensible. Paul says that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but instead we are to think with sober judgment about ourselves. Now, I've heard that uh, the late R.C. Sproul used to say, cemeteries are full of irreplaceable people. He said that about himself, because he was the founder of a ministry that uh, had a profound impact, worldwide impact. They have a monthly devotional, they had conferences, they had all kinds of teaching series, books they were publishing, all kinds of things they were doing. He seemed like an irreplaceable person. But as his days were drawing to an end, he was communicating to the people around him in his organization, look, there are plenty of people who everyone thought were irreplaceable, but guess where they are? They're where everybody else ends up. They're in the cemetery. I'm not irreplaceable. You're not irreplaceable. None of us are so important that if we, if today was our last day, then tomorrow the world would stop spinning. None of us are that important. Even those who love us the most, who are the closest to us, when our days come to an end, pretty quickly they will go back to their normal routines. With a sense of loss, yeah, but their lives will have to keep moving. Just like yours has when you've lost someone that you love. None of us are irreplaceable. And I don't say that to be morbid. I say that to help us do what Paul is saying we need to do. Think of ourselves sensibly. Think of ourselves with sober judgment. Don't think that we're so important that nobody can get along without us. We've all probably witnessed or heard stories of people who thought, you know, if, if they get mad and they think, if I leave this church and I take my tithe with me, this church is just going to sink. Right? Because I'm so important. 
And then they leave and what happens? Everybody's fine. Just keeps on going. Why? Because it was never about them. They, they were not the heart of the church. There's nobody in the church who is irreplaceable except Jesus. Everybody else, if something happens to us, the church is going to be just fine. Jesus built His church before us. Jesus will build His church after us. He wants to build His church with us. But we are not essential. We do have an important part to play. But we are not ultimate. We are not essential. We are not of prime importance. That place belongs only to Christ. So he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think with sober judgment. Think reasonably. Think rationally. Try to view yourself from the perspective of others, or better yet, from the perspective of God. Does God need me here? Does He have to have me here to be able to do His work? To be able to accomplish His purposes? No. He'd like to use me as long as I'm here, but I'm not essential to God's plan unfolding. God's not going to wring His hands if I disappear. Right? He, he's going to be just fine. His purposes are going to continue. So think of yourself with sober judgment. And how do you do that? Paul says, think each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We tend to try to assess ourselves and assess our importance in all kinds of ways. By what our spiritual gift is. By how many committees we're on, how much money we give, how many years we've been a member here at this church, or any number of things. Uh, That's how we tend to assess our importance. Paul says that's not how you think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of yourself according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. Not everybody has the same measure of faith. Paul's going to say later in, in chapter 14 and 15, there are some who are weaker in faith. There are some who are stronger in faith. All those who are Christians have faith. We all believe. But we all have a different measure of faith. And Paul emphasizes here that the faith we have was given to us by God. So it cannot be a ground for boasting. For puffing ourselves up. For thinking that we are more important than we really are. Because each of us, the measure of faith that we have, was assigned to us by God. Was given to us by God. Paul says elsewhere in Philippians 1.29, he says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. In other words, the fact that you believe in Christ and the fact that you are suffering for Christ... Both of those things are gifts that God has given you. Your faith is not what you bring to the table. God provides salvation, I provide faith, and we meet in the middle. No. God provides salvation, and God provides the faith to believe. If we think of ourselves in those terms... That helps us to think of ourselves with sober judgment, to think of ourselves sensibly. One person put it really well, kind of drawing together how verse 3 builds on what we saw in verses 1 and 2 
about offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God, he said that the four, there at the beginning of verse 3, the four indicates that humility is the immediate effect of self-surrender to God. That if you give yourself as a living sacrifice to God, you give yourself wholly and totally to God, you cannot do that and remain proud. There are no proud sacrifices, not legitimate ones. If we lay ourselves down before the Lord and say, I am wholly and totally yours, with that comes a certain measure of humility. Otherwise, we wouldn't be giving ourselves totally to the Lord. If we try to give our, if we think we're giving ourselves totally to the Lord as living sacrifices, and yet we are puffed up with pride, we are not giving ourselves to the Lord the way that we think we are. Those two things just can't coexist together. Not to that degree. I'm not saying that we would be totally free of pride, right? But if we are if, if pride is a significant part of what's going on in our minds and our hearts, then there's a disconnect there between the worship that we are to be offering to the Lord. So he says, don't think of yourself too highly. Think of yourself with sober judgment. And then he explains further how this works in verse 4 and 5 by reminding us of the importance of our place in the body of Christ. Right? He says, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In other words, one of the ways that you think of yourself with sober judgment, instead of thinking uh, thinking of yourselves too highly, is to remember that you are just one member, one part of a body. No single individual makes up a church. There's no such thing as one Christian who can do everything all by themselves. And everybody else can just stand around and watch. No Christian is meant to live that way. We are all a part of a body. And just like you have a body that has lots of different parts, you've got hands and feet and eyes and nose and mouth, and all those parts do different things, and all those, things, all those parts are important, and you wouldn't want to live without any of them. In the same way, he says, we are part of the body, right? We, though many, are one body in Christ. And... He says, individually, members one of another. So we are a body. We are united to Christ. And in Christ, we are joined to one another. And all the parts of this body are important. But none of them have ultimate importance. Like Paul said in the passage we read earlier from 1 Corinthians 12. The eye can't say, I'm the only part of the body that's important. Wish you guys would all be eyes. Because if you did that, then you couldn't smell and you couldn't taste and you couldn't touch. And what kind of body would that be? It's not a body. None of us, in other words, should think that everybody in the body ought to be just like us. Ought to care about the same things. Ought to exercise the same spiritual gifts. Ought to have the same priorities. Ought to have the same ministries. We're all different. We have different gifts. We have different personalities. We have different passions. 
And as long as all of those are being exercised under the parameters of Scripture, they are all important and they are all valid and they are all to be celebrated and applauded and encouraged. But none of us ought to think everybody in the church needs to be doing the same thing I'm doing. Because if everybody in the church was most passionate about the same thing that you are most passionate about, then nobody would need you to do it anymore. Because everybody else would be doing it. We all have different passions, different gifts, different talents that the Lord has given us, and we're all supposed to use those for the benefit of the body without thinking that those are the only things that are important in the body. If we think that those are the only things that are are important in the body, then we're thinking too highly of ourselves. When we think of of ourselves with sober judgment, we think, you know, we don't only need Sunday school teachers, we also need administrators. We don't only need administrators, we also need people who are, you know, really generous and able to serve and show mercy. And we not only need need people who are gifted in music, we need people who are gifted in teaching. We We need all those things and more. And if we start to think that the only part of the church that matters is the part that we care most about, again, we're thinking of ourselves too highly rather than with sober judgment. Last week we talked about how our ultimate identity is in Christ. And because of that we are united in Christ. That's the same kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. We need to remember that we are not just individual Christians doing our own thing, but that we are individually members of a body, members of one another. There's a reason why God has brought us together. He's done that on purpose, and He's done that so that we can love and serve and encourage and build up one another. So we need to remember that we're part of the body by God's design. We need to remember that our role in the body is important, but that others have different roles that are also important. Now, like many of you, I got tired a long time ago of hearing that we live in unprecedented times. But we do. Right? And every once in a while, we have to remember that and remind ourselves of that fact because one of the things that this season that we are living in has done is it has disrupted the way that the body of Christ works together. Right? Because uh, we're not all able to be together like we used to be. We're not all able to be together as often as we used to be. And uh, hopefully you have noticed that that has taken a toll. Right? Whether it was while none of us were able to meet and we were all just having to watch you know, sermons at home, um, or whether it's right now and you look around and think of all the people who you, know, you used to get to see on Sunday mornings and you haven't seen them in weeks or maybe months, and maybe you've got to talk to them on the phone or send them a card or something, but it's, it's just not the same. And hopefully at some point, something inside of you has said, not only was it not supposed to be like this, but... I don't like this. I don't want it to stay this way. Uh, Maybe you've even noticed that um, this has taken a toll on you spiritually. It is harder 
To be faithful, it's harder to be encouraged. It's harder to uh, you know, persevere in the faith and have a good attitude. and love. It's harder to do those things when we're not able to be together uh, like we're supposed to be. Right? So um, one, of the, the, one of the good things that I hope comes out of this whole season is that more people realize how much they need to be with the body. Now, there are times and seasons where that just can't happen, right? And for some people, that just can't happen right now, right? So that, I'm not saying that to try to, you know, put guilt or pressure on anybody. I'm just saying I, I hope that we all recognize there's a reason why we were supposed to be meeting together regularly, you know? Maybe, maybe there were some times in the past where... Um, you thought, you know, I need to be at church every once in a while, but, you know, once every couple of months, that's probably good enough. Hopefully now you see there's a a bigger hole in my life than I realized that comes with not gathering regularly with other Christians. I need that. It's important to my spiritual health. It's important to my mental well-being. It's important for um, the others that I'm gathering with, that I'm there to encourage. And, and we, we need this, right? And we ought to pray that soon all of us can be back together again. It's important for us to, um, again, think about the importance of the body of Christ. And finally, Paul says, um, he instructs us, to use the gifts that God has given us uh, in a way that is uh, good for the body, right? So he says, we're, we're, though we are many, we're one body in Christ, and we're individually members one of another. And then he says, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And he says uh, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 12 that the purpose of using these gifts is to build up the body of Christ. Right? So if we have these gifts, different gifts, let us use them. Now, first let's notice, gifts are grace. Right? When we, we call them spiritual gifts, the Bible calls them spiritual gifts, by definition then, they are not things that we've earned. If you're good at something, you're good at uh, encouraging people, you're good at teaching, you're good at leading things or administering things, organizing things, whatever. You're good at that because God made you good at that. God gave you a gift. And you may have honed it, you know, and, 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 and improved it by using it, but ultimately it comes from God. It's a gift. Right? And those gifts that we have, again, are different. Right? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We have different gifts, different ways that God has blessed us in order that we can bless others. So we are to use those gifts, he says, according to or in proportion to our faith. And then he lists several gifts. Right? If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now that's not an exhaustive list 
of spiritual gifts. And the reason why we know that is because if you look at the spiritual gifts Paul mentions in Ephesians 4 and the gifts he mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 and the gifts that Peter mentions in 1 Peter 4, none of those lists is exactly the same. They're just a, a sample of gifts that, those, uh, that come up in those particular passages, but none of those lists is exhaustive. But those gifts are instructive to help us think about the kinds of gifts that God has given to his church and how they are meant to be used. For example, Paul said, the first one Paul gives there is prophecy. If you have the gift of prophecy, he says, use it in proportion to uh, our faith. Now, it's significant probably that Paul puts prophecy first because in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and correcting some errors there in the church at Corinth, um, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul puts special emphasis on the gift of prophecy. Um, and he does the same in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, when he says, God has appointed in the church First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. There seems to be an ordering of importance there among the spiritual gifts. What are we to say about the gift of prophecy? We cannot sort of explain it away by saying that prophecy here must just represent preaching. And the reason why we can't do that is because we know that the gift of prophecy was operating in Paul's time. Whether or not it's still operating today is a matter of debate and interpretation that we don't have to get into this morning. But there's no debate about the fact that it was still operating in Paul's day. That's why in 1 Corinthians he encourages people to prophesy. And... uh, We also know from the book of Acts that Paul encountered people who were prophets operating at that time. For example, in Acts 21, verses 8 through 10, it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So there are five prophets just in a few verses mentioned in the book of Acts. The point, though, for us, whether or not you think the gift of prophecy is still being exercised today, the point is how you use the gift. Whatever the gift is. Prophecy, next he mentions serving, then he uses, uh, mentions teaching and then exhorting. Whatever gift you have, he says, use it in proportion to to your faith. And again, as he says elsewhere, we use it to build up the body. 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In other words, God has entrusted you with this gift. How do you steward it well? Well, you steward it poorly if you don't use it, or only use it to try to get people to be impressed with you. You steward it wisely if you use the gift, 
and you use it to serve the church, to build up the body of Christ and to bring glory to God. So that's what we are supposed to do, whether your gift is service. Right? If you're just a servant-hearted person and you're ready to do something for somebody at the drop of a hat, do that. Use that gift for the glory of God. If your gift is teaching, right? teach whenever you can. Teach as faithfully as you can. Teach as diligently as you can. If your gift is exhorting, in other words, encouraging people to do what God wants them to do, Use that gift. Not everybody appreciates a good exhortation all the time, right? But don't let that stop you from using your gift in love to build up the body. If you're a a leader or um, a manager, an administrator, use that gift to help serve the church, to build up the body of Christ. Do it with zeal, he says. If you're one who does acts of mercy, if, if, if you excel at helping people who are in serious need, Paul says, do that cheerfully. Do that with a smile on your face. Do that with joy in your heart. Whatever gift it is that you have, use it. Put it into practice. Build up the body with it. Be good stewards of what God has given you. So this is how... Paul, and more than Paul, God wants us to think about ourselves. He doesn't want us to think about ourselves with pride, with haughty opinion, where we're puffed up, we think of ourselves way more highly than we ought to think. Instead, He wants us to think of ourselves reasonably, sensibly, with sober judgment. If you think that you are not important, you are more important than you think you are. If you think you are the most important, you are not as important as you think you are. But all of you are important. All of you have a role to play. All of you have a gift to use. All of you have a way to serve. All of you have been given the grace of God and the gift of faith in order to serve and build up the body of Christ. And that's what we ought to be reminding ourselves, and that's what we ought to be living out. And doing that will help us think of ourselves with sober judgment, which is how we ought to think. Let's pray.